This is Teeming with Ideas, the podcast that explores how people at work work together. I'm Carlos Valdez Depena, your host, and I spent decades working with teams as well as researching, writing, and speaking about collaboration. Over the years, I've met some brilliant people who share my passion for collaboration. In Teeming with Ideas, I'll be speaking with these experts so that you can put them to work to make your work life richer and more rewarding. Enjoy. Welcome back, brilliant listeners to Teeming with Ideas. With me today is Hamish Thompson. Hamish is speaking with us from Down Under. I guess you're somewhere near Sydney, as I recall. I'm in Sydney at the moment, but uh, for your listeners, just to remember, I'm a New Zealander, or commonly referred to as a Kiwi, so slightly different from that Aussie twang. So you've revealed a bit about yourself. You're a Kiwi and a big fan of the All Blacks, as you mentioned in the book seven or eight times. Tell us a bit more about yourself. So I'm unapologetically, I'm a typical corporate player. I've been doing this for probably around 30 years. I started out life within London advertising as a copywriter. I was a very poor copywriter and I quickly got moved on to the field of account management, looking after client liaison. But uh, I loved that environment. Very fast paced, creative and really was about relationship building. Then I went into the sports and fitness industry with Reebok in Europe, looking after the marketing and communications for Europe, which I loved, as you can expect, Carlos. It's a great fun, a lot of energy, excitement, and really about emotional connections. And But I particularly loved the dynamism of the industry. Then I probably grew up a little bit, and I've spent the last 20 years within FMCG, or as uh, within your listeners we call it CPG, mm-hmm. with the Mars Incorporated. And I absolutely uh, thrived and loved that, the global brand role. Did the CEO sort of regional president gigs within three large markets and regions within the world. And then did a decision which my wife and also my former boss thinks I'm crazy, but I resigned and wanted to do something completely different. And since then, I've been within different startups, few board positions, nonprofits. I wrote my first leadership book. It's not always right to be right. Yeah. Very career, but uh, enjoyable to date. Thank you for that. It's a fascinating read. It's one I highly recommend. At the end of each chapter, you've invited a contrarian or critical point of view from someone you know and respect. In some ways, it could be a little bit lazy, so I don't have to write all within the book, but uh, <laughs> I've got an insatiable thirst for curiosity. I love perspective. I love different, uh, and I love challenge and thought leadership. Mm. I say I love humility within leadership, and I believe I do, but I've also got a bit of an ego, and with an ego comes a very firm set of beliefs and ideas. I do lay those ideas out and each of the chapters, but equally, I've invited some key global leaders within heads of corporations, advocates, diplomacy or governments related, external consultants, lawyers, etc. And I've asked them to directly challenge my concepts and my ideas. Some build on them. Others have told me I'm a little bit off in this direction, but I love that perspective. And the beauty around it is... In a few years, my views and my positions will probably change as I get exposed to new experiences. That's the rationale behind it. So far, I've had very good feedback on that, but I'm very appreciative to those individuals for contributing. Somehow it adds a bit of tension and suspense because <laughs> you just can't wait to hear what the comeback or the build will be. So I appreciated it. So bad bosses are gifts. Mm. I always ask my guests if they remember an early boss experience. 
we always like to hear a bit about what goes wrong, don't we? So tell us a bit about why bad bosses are gifts. Like it or not, we probably all go through our careers at different stages. Generally, I've had exceptional bosses, those who provide very clear direction, inspirational vision, clarity, develop and stretch you and genuinely show compassion and empathy for you. But at the same time, we've probably all had one or two of those bosses who go against us in regard to our values, our way of working and not feeling supportive and show behaviours that we are not exactly in awe of. And I think the beauty of it from my side, when you normally have those bad bosses, first thought is, how do we get out of the situation? Is we're all aware people leave organisations or leave businesses, not so much because of the business, but because of the boss itself. And there's probably been two or three examples of my career where I've had less than ideal bosses. But every time you learn something incredibly valuable and insight from them, and often it's what will I not do as opposed to what should I do? Mm -hmm. And when you get in a leadership position yourself, you look at those behaviors of your boss and you ingrain them to memory that gee, okay, when I do get the chance to lead others, including my, including leading yourself, I won't ingrain those behaviours. Often, those bad bosses, there are characteristics within them that are absolutely exceptional. They are brilliant. They may have a stakeholder management or a political agility. And you need to look at those and seek them out. And I document each of those thin file about our bad, bad bosses. Hmm. There's a gift within all of them, even though it's painful. Do you remember your first bad boss experience? Yes, I do. Within the London advertising experience, and this one was an indirect boss that I had. I was uh, sort of new, exciting, and uh, went out to different industry events. I thought I had discovered a new insight within the world of advertising. In those days, moving away from print and TV directly into digital, and I rushed back and I put all this together in a little file and uh, placed it on each of the director's uh, desks, thinking I had discovered something. I view it like being a little black Labrador. I was proud, happy, and I waited <laughs> for the praise to come in. One indirect boss who's the head of the media department tore me to shreds. And I won't go into the full detail of it, but essentially that my opinion wasn't valued. My thought processes, observations had not warranted a position of consideration from those above, essentially get back in your box and do it very quickly. And I think the odd Kiwi reference from down under I was thrown in there at the same time. Ouch. But the learning from that one was, and it goes back to the Mars element about egalitarian, every opinion counts. I've always mm -hmm. drilled that into my psyche of leadership that Whoever you are within an organization, your opinion accounts. My values of trust, dignity, respect go even higher now because of those experiences. And the context behind it was that individual is under enormous pressure in regard to billings. So there's a reason and a mm. rationale behind mm. it. Fortunately, I survived. They didn't send me home to New Zealand and I lived another day. So how can a leader take in all these opinions from their team and Say no to those that have to be said no to in a way that maintains that associate or employee's sense of dignity and engagement. I probably think two areas. The first one, a caveat that I often introduce, and it's called the 98% rule. 
when you get feedback from a boss or from others, let's face it, the majority of corporations now, you get a, a load of feedback within 360 degrees, <laughs> constant daily conversations. The 98% rule, as far as I see, is you listen to it, you consider it, but there's probably only 2% that you really take in and resonate. And as a result of that, you should refine your behaviors but don't fundamentally change who you are. And that is incredibly important because if you do follow the majority of the feedback and change your position, your values, your stance, your way of working, we will not have the diversity and thought leadership and ways of working uh, difference that is required within business. It's a really hard thing to do at a young age, this intimidation factor, but also a, uh, a copying and a role model factor. You can very easily mm. change and move away from who you are. It's a really hard one at a more junior level, how you have a crucial conversation with a leader or with a boss to be able to challenge somebody's perspective or challenge a directive that's put across my view on that is, one, you need to have that conversation in the first place. And if you don't, it will gnaw away at your psyche and you'll regret not having it. Secondly, you need to be very respectful in the way that you have that. When I was younger, Carlos, I used to take on senior leaders. And I think I had this sort of small man syndrome about wanting to sort of push and challenge back. But I would do it within wider groups. And it was almost manipulative and point scoring. As a sort of former sales and marketing person, I did it quite well, but it wasn't respectful. So try and do that on a one-on-one -on -one basis. Do not make it personal. Qualify why you are feeling like this and how it sits within your values. And once you've raised it, be open to consider the other person's point of view. First and foremost, please do it respectfully. And that's hopefully a good boss will respond well to it. Something you raise in the book as a boss, the value of being respected and liked. I'll have to admit, Amish, I read that and I thought, really? Talk a little bit about that value of being both respected and liked. Yeah, a, a lot of people challenge me on this. And it's, um, I'm not saying I'm right uh, or wrong. It's just uh, I have a different sort of view on it. When I talk around being respected and liked, immediately when people hear the term liked, they think, well, you're going to be a soft leader. That means you don't face into crucial conversations. Mm. You won't make difficult decisions. Within a leadership position, you have to make difficult decisions, factory redundancies, org structures, moving out of adjacencies, market conditions, market closures, etc. So my general belief is that respect is a given. It's a point of entry. There's no debate on that one. If you don't have respect, you cannot win the game. I'm yet to be convinced in right. any, any other way. However, I have actually mm. started to question when are those times when I as an individual stepped up, went over and beyond my job description, beyond my pay bracket, and provided more of me in a project, an assignment, an uh, objective than I've ever done before. And every single time I did that was for a leader who I respected, but I also liked. 
um, and a genuine like, a warmth, knowing that they had my back, they had compassion and empathy. It was consistent when I looked over the years. Fortunately, I've had amazing and wonderful bosses. My last one, the most uh, recent, uh, was a classical example of that, that she was very demanding, challenging, but stretching developmentally wise, but always had my back, consideration, care, compassion. And I walked over coals for people like that. That's my views on it. But uh, as I said, not everyone follows that. Margaret Thatcher, British Prime Minister, and forgetting around political views, but she always had a view that respect was first and foremost, and you did not necessarily need to be liked. So I'm slightly different on it. And that's how I've modelled my leadership style. But just the caveat again, Carlos, respect, you have to have that at first and foremost. I think it's a fabulous provocation. And it's very much about how you've put it. When you've reflected on who you went the extra mile for was always for someone that you liked. I'd love all my listeners to reflect on that. Think about those bosses you've done the extra for you. And then conversely, think about the bosses you really struggled with. How often did you make that extra effort for them? Maybe it's about what the word like means. It doesn't mean you're going out and having a beer or, or going off and playing football together. You use the word warmth. I like that. There's something about their humanness that you warm to. I think, Carlos, you may have many years ago probably installed this within myself and a number of the teams. I think it could have been the European team. And as part of your HPC framework, when you have a genuine connection with another based on full mutual trust, compassion, support, knowing that they have your back, you can have the most crucial conversations. And I look back at some of the feedback that I've had over the years or conversations that even though at the time I didn't like the conversation or even sometimes the content, the context and the way it was expressed to me, I did take to heart because I knew those people genuinely had a warmth and a compassion for me. Previously, if I didn't have that like and I thought it was a single agenda or their agenda, and I probably would have dismissed that content entirely, maybe naively. At some point you say, it's no longer about getting the team to like me. It's about getting the team to love each other. Most of us have gone through many a year within different surveys and generally around satisfaction, engagement, leadership qualities. I had always taken those surveys and processes very seriously. And obviously, as I said, being wanted to be liked as a leader, along with respect, is critically important for me. I always wanted the great scores, that connection. I wanted the team to love me directly. But then it was pointed out to me, if you're a leader, it's very easy to get your team to genuinely like be engaged with you. Because if they don't, and they don't have a positive relationship with you, it's not so much the leader who gets hurt. Sure, they won't get the best out of people, but the person who will generally get hurt will be the subordinate. They won't get developed. They won't get the autonomy and freedom. They won't have the motivating inspiration or assignments or relationships passed with them. So generally, they will do everything in their power to have a great relationship with the leader. That's great, and it works out okay. But the real insight on this to me was that the best team relationships, and this goes back again in regard to the HBC framework, is not so much around the leader herself or himself. It's more around how the team 
those peers interact, connect with each other, support each other, treat their team as their first team and business first and function second. When I first went into a senior director position, my predecessor said to me, Hamish, it is now more important to get on with your peers than your own team. That is where I just love this whole concept of business first, function, or second, and uh, from board downwards. I think it's incredibly clear. So it was a big insight to me, but it's changed my way of looking at things and particularly measuring team performance. What are the behaviors or practices that a team leader might consider in fostering that kind of relationship among the team members that report into them? Is it really just about going out and playing golf together? Or is in my case, it's definitely not about getting on the golf course. I think I'd embarrass and uh, <laughs> as a leader, you shouldn't be providing your team the answers. A number of leaders are very charismatic. They take the lead mm-hmm. and they take the responsibility and they take the share of voice ahead of anyone else. The quiet achiever, the humble leader, is those who sit back and will let the team have their opinions, have their say, and not rebut against that, even if it's slightly off on a different tangent. Mm. The leader always has the the final hierarchy of decision-making, but the more times that they follow their own direction and believe their view, their position, is more valued than the team below them, you won't get that team working in harmony. The other one that I'd say is that provide and create shared purpose objectives for the team itself. And those Mm. objectives need to be collectively owned. So sales director, sales team, sales VP, marketing VP, supply VP, all have separate projects that they're working at. Give them a shared agenda, and a collective objective to go forth and give them the freedom to go after it. And that creates a shared bond, but a shared purpose together. And when you have that, the group will come to you as a leader collectively with issues. They'll often play you off. So a supply chain manufacturing lead will come to you around a sales or a marketing issue. An HR person will come to you either from a financial uh, perspective. And then you know you've got a team (laughs) who may be ganging up on you, but are definitely (laughs) working in unison. The real danger of it, if you don't do it, you immediately Mm. stop other people from stepping up. There's dormant potential within every single person that exists within life, I feel. And as a leader, if you've got the right answers, if your way is always better than others, you don't need people around you. And that, to me, is what Mm. managers do. But a leader will unlock potential and let others take that lead and direction, even if it's different from your own. There is one last bit from the book I want to follow up on that stuck with me. Results are nice, but awards matter. It's uh, like any good copywriting. Hopefully, that gets people questioning immediately. Come on, surely you can't actually mean that. It's all around results and awards are just a nice factor. This came directly from my early advertising days where after a very boozy lunch with a incredibly inspirational but creative leader within the agency, he turned around and he actually just said, he said, yeah, results are nice, but awards matter. 
I thought that was him just having a little bit of fun. But he's very serious. And the whole message, Carlos, came out that if you can create internal hype and excitement and inspiration and motivational level, and I've termed it euphoria, within a business, extraordinary and exceptional things can happen. The power of meaningful rewards, not ones you can buy, (laughs) they (laughs) matter more than anything. Majority of people, if they win a sustainability award, a great place to work award, even an individual award for associate or individual of the year, those type of awards, you take those back to your family. At the barbecue, you talk around those awards, you walk taller often as a leader, because we get more serious and we get more tangible and lagging indicators of results, you take your eye off those less tangible factors that make people actually step up and do extraordinary things. So they're not mutually exclusive, but if you get the right focus on rewards, which is generally a customer service mindset or an external factor first, Mm. they do lead to results as well. In reading your book, And in knowing you a bit, given your accomplishments, you're a really very humble guy. It's clear, even in the way you structured your book chapters, you want to keep learning. I find that so motivating. In your lifelong learning journey, what lesson have you found you've had to learn more than once? Thank you for that commentary and feedback. We are consistently learning Mm. as long as you can evolve. It is key. Every single leader I've spoken to at a latter stage in their career, you say, what would you do differently? And they all say, I wish I'd been bolder and I wish I'd been faster. I hope I continue to do is calculated risk-taking, always looking at new opportunities. And I've got constant dissatisfaction. I was born with a frown on my forehead, according to my mother. I'm always looking forward to that sort of next thing. My biggest struggle at the heart of my leadership and my personal values was something that Grant Reed, the head of Mars Inc., said, performance without purpose is meaningless and purpose without performance is impossible. Recently, I've taken on a couple of different board roles, and one of them is with Australia's largest suicide prevention agencies, a group called OzHelp. It really has solidified to me that I am a driven individual, I'm results-oriented, very performance-oriented, but purpose has to be at the heart of that, and I'm making that part of everything that I do, and one of those purpose elements is unlocking potential within others. But equally, I do realise that this purposeful nature, looking to help others within mental health, within making a difference to planners and any of the visions or missions within some amazing companies around the world, including the Mars, Reebok, etc. Unless you are performance-driven, you cannot make a difference through purpose. I want to thank you for joining me on Teaming with Ideas and for sharing some of your insights. I want to encourage all my brilliant listeners to get themselves a copy. And I honestly believe Almost any one of your chapters, Hamish, could lead itself to a, a whole nother book. You got a lot of good stuff there. And to my brilliant listeners, see you next time on Teaming with Ideas. Hi, I'm Janet Aldrich, producer and director of Teaming with Ideas. Thanks for listening. And thank you, John Wallerick, for the music. If you found this podcast useful, please subscribe, review, and share. Want more? Visit Carlos's blog, Teaming with Ideas, at carlosvdapena.com. Questions? Click on the Contact Carlos button, and we'll answer promptly. 
To be interviewed on the Teeming with Ideas podcast, visit carlosvdepena.com forward slash podcast dash contact and complete the questionnaire. Thanks again for listening and keep on teeming with ideas.